Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. I can tell. Um, you know, uh, we have been going through the series about how it's going to be different, and I told you guys that I don't even have a title for y'all um, besides just this this unction that it's going to be different. And um, Lorna, she Lorna is like my my biggest cheerleader. It's it's the cutest thing. Um, but she even met, screenshotted uh, a thing of Stephen Furtick, his last podcast, and said, look, babe, he's not doing a, a title either. He's just saying part one, part two. And I was like, that's God. <laughs> that's God. Um, but this whole series, we're talking about how it's going to be different. And we've been focused on the, the heart that it's going to be different this year. Sometimes we, we become so callous because of our letdowns. We, we start to lose hope because we feel like things are just repeated over and over and they're not different. It's the same thing. Sometimes it's the people that we've been hoping we're going to change over and over. And it's, I, I feel like this year, it's really going to be different. And today, I want to start with this question. Do you think that things typically go as expected? Someone say it's going to be different. It's going to be different. It's going to be different. Things go completely different than the way we expect, don't they? And there's three people I want us to look at today. And to be honest, when each time when I was reading about one of these stories, I was like, oh, that's what we're going to talk about this Sunday. And then I'd read the next story. It's like, well, maybe this is going to be what we talk about this Sunday. And then another one is like, well... Now I have the whole rest of the month plan, <laughs> but God really spoke to me about how we're going to look, let's take a step back and look at these three people, these three different stories, and we're going to see how it's going to be different, how it was a lot different than they expected. Y'all dig, y'all dig what I'm saying? And we're going to start with Paul. And I'll be honest with you, these stories have made me really emotional. And I'm not one to where I like to cry during a message because I feel like it's weird. Not that it's weird, but for me personally, to cry in front of people while talking is weird. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, not that y'all feel weird or it's weird if someone else does it. But for me personally, it's not the first thing I wanted to do today. (laughs) But I just want y'all to bear with me. And so in Acts chapter 14... And we're going to look at pivotal parts of this story. So we're going to jump from a couple verses, starting in verse 11 through 13. And this part of the story, Paul had just uh, healed a person that couldn't walk. And all of the town is going crazy. And, they, they, and this, is, um, this is like a miracle that they just saw. And this is in the town of Athens. Now, I haven't been to Athens, but I think most of us can re- notion Athens being like a place where Greek mythology was really popular. And so let's jump into this story. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was a Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was a chief speaker. Now just stop real quick 
if I was Paul, I was like, why can't I be Zeus? <laughs> Zeus is the one that's all buff and swole, and Hermes is like this little boy, like all skinny. He's the, the one with the little wings on his shoes. Uh, and so Barnabas was also obviously doing push-ups on the side while Paul was writing the, the 70% of the New Testament. And so moving on, it says, Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the priests of the temple and the crowds brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. Now let's stop here for a second. The people of the town admired Paul and Barnabas so much that they considered them gods. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not been admired that much before. I've been close. Been close, especially at the gym. Like, wow, no. <laughs> but these people are so ad- impressed by Paul and Barnabas that they consider them deities, gods, among them, and they are preparing to worship them, make sacrifices them to them. And I want you to just try to find your place in this part of the story. Those moments where you felt like everybody was with you. Those moments in life where it felt like everyone was on your team. When you said you were going to do something and everyone backed you up. And it felt like it felt like you were just like on top of the world. And it's let's jump down to verse 19 and it says then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the town thinking he was dead. They literally went from about to worship him and at the flip of a coin stoned him to where they thought he was dead. Now think back at those moments where it felt like everyone was with you and I bet you that most of those people you don't even talk to anymore because of what shortly transpired. Maybe, maybe they didn't stone you to death, but they stoned you with their silence. They just completely stopped talking to you, completely isolated you, completely neglected you, gave you the cold shoulder. One minute, it was like you were everything. And the next minute, felt like you were dead inside. This is a moment where we are so we can be so admired one moment and hated the next. And Jesus, when he when it said that people first started to admire him, it said that he didn't take it to heart because he knew how people were. Isn't that the most down-to-earth scripture of the Bible? Well, Jesus knew how people were. And It's almost like that's a a really common sense thing that we need to capture when it comes to people. And I know that this doesn't sound like the most encouraging (laughs) message, but how many times have we had a heart broken by those around us because one moment they love us and the next they hate us? I'm not trying to project to you that we need to grow cold and callous. That's what I've even shared with you guys this year. I'm praying for God to soften my heart so I don't become like that. But in this moment, we see Paul being worshipped 
and then stoned. And it is such a imagery of what it is like at our workplaces, in our groups of friends, even in our families. Is it not true? Have you ever showed up to a new college campus, your new dorms, and you felt like you were friends with everybody there? I never could imagine that they were so loving, so accepting. And all of a sudden, after a couple months, they're talking ugly things about you. You walk in the room, they start laughing. And the people that you thought were so loving all of a sudden just hate you without cause. That is what it's like in so many places today, even in church. And I think that that simple fact right there is why so many people have not even wanted to go to church anymore. Because when they first show up as a new believer, brother, how are you? Oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. God wanted you to be here today. But you stay long enough, and all of a sudden you start to get treated differently, right? If you've ever been at a church long enough that where you started to get treated ugly, you started to not, no one was really expect, uh, excited to see you anymore. It's a horrible feeling. And it's those moments like this where people can be so fickle to where you just loved one moment and hated the next. And I want to share this last verse just as a glimpse of, of what we need in this kind of situation. It says, but as believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas and for Derby. Now, I really believe that when the believers gathered around him, they prayed over him. And it says that he got back up and went back into the town. Think about that for a second. I, I personally, if I didn't have like, like a, a plan of revenge, <laughs> I would most likely not go back into the town that just tried to kill me. That's just me. I know I think differently, but it says that they prayed for him, that they surrounded him. And that when he got back up, he went back into the town. And I, I feel like this verse is so powerful. It is such imagery of what it is like. That even when all those people that you just met admired you one moment and hated the next, that there are some people that you can really be surrounded by that will gather around you. And when you're beaten like that, they will gather around you. They will love you. They will pray for you. They will help you. To where even though you didn't even think you could get back up, all of a sudden you're able to stand again. And how are you able to stand? You're grabbing their shoulders, pulling yourself up, shaking as you stand. But you get back up because those people gathered around you. And when it says that he went back in, it doesn't say anything else. It doesn't say that he went back to preaching the temple again for round two. It says that he just went back in and it says the next day he left for Derby. And what that speaks to me is that he didn't get back into the town looking for a fight. He went back into the town because he wasn't afraid of what they were going to do. He wasn't afraid of what they were going to say. He was not going to be, he wasn't going to let their actions dictate what he felt comfortable or confident to do anymore. He wasn't going to let fear control him and hide and stop what he was doing. And then the next day he left. 
Why stay somewhere that you are not celebrated? Why stay somewhere that you are either attacked or just tolerated? It says that he left the next day. He wasn't afraid to go back. He wasn't afraid to go back to that school. He wasn't afraid to go back to that job. He wasn't afraid to go back to that church, that family member, whatever. But he left the next day. He didn't stay where he wasn't wanted. And I feel like that is one of those common sense moments for us. That when we are just simply hated for no reason, without cause, why do we stay there? This is a moment where Paul is not saying, well, I'm just going to believe the best in them. I'm going to believe that they're going to change and that instead of stoning me to death, they're, they're going to really uh, appreciate what I have to say again. No. He doesn't make up false hopes and he doesn't ride his decisions on the chance of people's decisions. It says that he just do what he, he did what he knew was right and when he knew that it was done, he left. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And there's so many times where we get conflicted because of the mercy of God. And we confuse the mercy of God with wisdom and common sense. I, I've had dozens and dozens of people f- talk to me about how they're confused with relationships that they're in, with family members and friends, because it's so abusive and manipulative. And they're like, well, aren't I supposed to forgive them? Well, hell yeah, you are. They're like, okay, Homer, that's one too many hell yeahs today. <laughs> but yeah, you're supposed to forgive them, but doesn't mean that you stay hostage. You leave the next day. You, you don't have to stay in that. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't stay where you're hated. Even Jesus... When it says that people hated him, that they wanted to kill him, it says that he went to the next town. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so don't don't stay in those places where you're not celebrated. I am a strong believer that I don't want to be a person, a pastor, that tries to steal people from other churches and convince people, come to my church, it's better. I mean, it is, but still, I don't want to be like that. But I'm also a strong believer that you should... You should go where you're celebrated. Why, why stay stuck at a church that you feel miserable at, that you feel disconnected at, that, that you're simply tolerated? You need to go to a place where you really are like family, where you're really part of the community, where you're really celebrated. And there's nothing wrong with that. So many people feel confused, like, well, is it okay for me to? We're all one kingdom, right? We, we, we have the freedom of choice. And whether it's a church, whether it's a family, whether it's a friend, whether it's a relationship, you have the freedom of choice to leave something that's not healthy for you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, the second story I want us to go through is, I'm going to just go over two verses in this story. And it's about the story of Joseph. Now, the story of Joseph is in Genesis. And it's about a son, a brother that was hated by his family members, hated by his brothers, loved by his father, and was first thrown into a well with the intent to kill him by his own family, by his own brothers, but then sold into slavery to Egypt. He then went to Egypt and served under Governor uh, Governor Potiphar, 
And then was accused of attempted rape, which was a false accusation. Then he was thrown in prison for something he didn't do. And then, after years and years and years of going through this just really difficult life, it says that Pharaoh called him out to interpret a dream. And after he did it, Pharaoh made him in charge of all of Egypt and became the most powerful and wealthiest man in the world at that time. And it was a fulfillment of a dream that he had at the very beginning. And in that dream, in the middle was all of this junk, all of this crap that he did not expect. And I want us to focus on the beginning of this story. And it says that one night in Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Let's stick right here. He had a dream, and when he told the people closest to him in his life, they hated him more than ever. You know, the trend I see in people in the Bible is that so often they are hated without cause. It just seems like people don't like them for no reason. And it says that when he shared his dream, that they hated him for it even more. And in this moment, what it makes me reflect on are the times that you had dreams and aspirations, desires, and when you shared them with somebody else, and they told you how stupid they were, how wrong they were, how high-minded you are, and they crushed your dreams because they told you it wasn't realistic. And then there's some of you where you have these dreams and you feel like people have spite towards you for even wanting to do something better with your life. You know what I'm talking about? It's like people that almost like they want you to fail. They, don't, they, they despise the thought of you doing anything more with your life than them. And this... This is one thing when it's with, it's like with his brothers before this point in the story, it says his brothers already were, were pretty pissed off at him. And so it's like, they hated me even more. Well, that's to be expected. They already didn't like him. Why would you share with someone? Why, why would you be so overly optimistic, Joseph? You already know that they, they have it out for you. Isn't it funny how even with the, the people that we don't get along with, but we love so much, we still try to be vulnerable with. Even though we know it's a bad idea. We still let them in because we just love them. And it is so painful when they hate you even more. But there's the next, the couple verses down in verse 10, it says, This time... He told the dream to his father as well as his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I bow, uh, and your brothers actually come to, and bow to the ground before you? And so it's one thing. It's like, oh, I could understand the brothers. But it says that his father loved him the most. And his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Who do you think you are? And there's so many times where even the people we love, the people that are closest to us, can't see what we see. 
They can't feel what we feel. And those moments are so incredibly difficult where you feel completely all alone. That you were supposed to be accepted by these people and loved by these people, but instead you were shamed. And shame is such an ugly, ugly feeling. It, it is a burden that so many of us carry. And the thing about shame is that it has been put on us by others. Yet we're the ones that keep holding on to it. And shame is like a cloak just tossed over you. To where you can't even see past it. It's covering all of your body. Your vision. You can't even breathe the same. You feel claustrophobic. Because you're covered in shame. You think... How could I do anything else if this is who I am? Covered by this dark cloak. And shame, it can stop us from really doing what we feel called to do. It can stop us from really fulfilling that purpose God has given us. I feel like even like the idea of, of being a mother, a father, having a family... Some of us stop that because of shame. Think, well, how could I ever raise someone? How could I ever make a family if, if I can't even be accepted by my own family? And we have all these different doubts. How am I supposed to achieve anything? I can't even get into college. My family reminds me of it all the time. You ever made uh, an ambitious decision, faith-filled decision? And it seems like everyone around you shames you for it. And it's like you so strongly believe that it was the right thing for you to do. Like everything in you was shouting with inside saying, do it. This is what you need to do. And it's almost like you could see the end so clearly, even though you knew that it's far away. And you take that step and you think, man, I'm going to really need those people around me to, to lean on. And encourage me through this because I know it's going to be hard. And instead they start kicking at your legs. <laughs> Who do you think you are? And it becomes that much harder to stand in that dream. Because of the people surrounding you. Covering you with that shame. It's going to be different than we expected. And this final story. This story might get me Okay. And it's about Ishmael. Now, Abraham is noted as the father of our faith. It's where like faith started. And God made him and his wife Sarah a promise that he was going to give them children. That they, he was going to give them a child. And years and years and years and years and years went by. Past the point for either one of them to bear children. And they, they were so expectant of that child, they so desired it, that they thought, well, maybe God's, uh, the answer to this prayer is through a way that we can make. We just have to compromise on a couple things, and, but we'll finally get what we were wanting. And so Sarah said, Abraham, 
You're my husband. I respect you. I love you. We've been in this, man. But we want this baby. And so you can have my maid have sex with her and have a child through her. They didn't have artificial insemination back then. But they, she said, you can have my maid and have sex with her and we'll have a child through her. Because I want a baby so bad that I'm willing to get it anyway. I want this promise any way possible. And so Abraham was like, bet. <laughs> it doesn't even say he hesitated. <laughs> so I don't know what happened there, like what kind of like pillow talk that was. But, <laughs> but it says that soon after... Well, not soon after, 13 years later, after Ishmael, who is the baby that was conceived through her maid, grew up, was 13 years old, and God answered the, the promise that he had promised them and caused Sarah to be able to have a baby in her old age. And they named him Isaac. And I've always heard any time in church when it was talked about Ishmael, he was always talked about as the mistake. He was always talked about as being the, the wrong way. The, the mess up. They should have just waited. And this time reading through this story, my heart broke because I saw Ishmael as a person loved by God. And he's been talked about as a mistake for years and generations. Even though God is the giver of life. God doesn't make mistakes in people. And I believe so strongly that God gave a purpose to Ishmael. And it says it in the word of God. That, that he had plans for him. That he'll make him into, even though no one else wanted him, that he'll make, them, make him into a great nation. It says in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8 through 10, this is when Ishmael is about 13 years old, maybe 14. Uh, and it says, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, so he's a little boy, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, Get rid of that slave woman and her son. He is not going to share in the inheritance of, with my son Isaac. I won't have it. She's pissed. And that's like a, for me, I know at first glance it's like, dang Sarah, chill out. But... I see my wife right there. <laughs> oh, you will not be talking to my daughter like that. Uh-uh. <laughs> that overprotective motherhood of Sarah is in my wife for sure. <laughs> but the part that is not, I'm not, not in my wife <laughs> at all because my wife is perfect, is even though it was her idea, she's taking it back. And we do that a lot as people, Right? We make decisions that we regret, and we just wish we could take it back. But now, the son that she was really waiting for is here. Does that take away from the fact that Ishmael is still a son? 
Does it take away from the fact that he belongs to that family? But it's almost like since we know the end of the story, we're like, yeah, get out of here, Ishmael. You're not the promised one. You were the mistake. And this part of the story breaks my heart. Because what I see is, a, is just a regular snot-nosed teenager making fun of his little brother. And all of a sudden, getting a punishment that was way overkill. Getting a consequence that was past the crime. And in this moment that he was supposed to be accepted and belong to this family, he was outcasted. And there's so many of us that we just made a simple mistake. A simple mistake. And it seems irreversible to the people around. There's no going back. And we are outcasted and thrown out for something that was just a mistake. And that's all it was. A moment of foolishness, a moment of neglectment, whatever. It was just a mistake. And we're completely shunned and outcasted. And it says in this part of this story, right after this, it says that Hagar, his mom, took him in the wilderness with just enough water for them to carry. And it says that when it ran out, she couldn't find any food, she couldn't find any water, and that she put the boy down. Remember, this is a 14-year-old boy that can't even walk at this point. She puts him down, and he is crying, and she walks a hundred yards away and prays, God, I don't want to see the boy die. That that's, how, that's what level of poverty they were at. And it breaks my heart that there are so many young people that are in that kind of poverty, but they're looked at as the mistake. <coughs> the people that... Well, they shouldn't be here anyway. They should have never had kids. And my heart breaks. But it says in Scripture that when she prayed, I don't want to see the boy die. She didn't know what to do. It just happened. She didn't know that she was going to be a mom of this boy. It just happened. And the Bible says that God saw the boy crying. It, it just moves my heart that God sees us in those moments, in those tears. And the scripture says that, go and get him because I'm going to make him a great people. And it says that he's going to be the father of others. And what breaks my heart, what really moves it, is that even though he couldn't be accepted by his own family, God gave him family to make. And for you, there's so many of you that you were cast out of a place you wanted to belong. And God is calling you to be that belonging for the next person. To be that for the next generation. To be that for somebody else. You know what it feels like. And God's heart to you is the same as it was to Ishmael. Is that you're not a mistake. And that the consequences that you've had to bear are not defining qualities in you, in any person. And that God doesn't see 
any of us by that one mistake that changed everything. But he sees us in that last part where it says, he is a great nation. He's a great person. She is a great person. And it, I bet it was so hard for Ishmael to see himself like that. Laban, the most of his life, he believed that he didn't belong. That he was the second best. He was second choice. That he was a mistake. And my heart in this story is that he, he, he was supposed to belong and he was outcast. And I guess what I'm trying to say in all of these stories I want to I want to pray I want to share this verse in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 through 3. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And this is a prophetic verse about Jesus and Jesus quotes the scripture in the New Testament. So this is imagine Jesus talking the spirit of the Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted in for his own glory. What what moves my heart in the scripture is all these little parts where it says that that he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. All these verse, all these little parts that Jesus was made for. And it makes me think about these things that I've gone through of being shamed, of being outcasted, of being hated. And it, one, brings so much comfort to know that God sees. And it says that His anger is against those things. God loves everyone. But it makes, us, it makes Him angry to see injustice. And isn't that really what life is like? Just a long life of injustice. It feels like that sometimes. And it says that he'll trade beauty for ashes. And it feels like some of the things that we go through, we have nothing left. That's what happens when something's consumed by fire, is that you just have ashes. Meaning that you once had something, but it's all burned up now. It says when you have nothing but ashes, that he gives a crown of beauty for it. I don't even know what that looks like. But... I, at the same time, I know what it means. I want to read one last verse in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 4. This is my heart for this year of 2020. It says, Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough places smooth. And I feel like the last couple of year, years have been rough. 
that even the plans that we've had, it would just seem like a simple plan, a simple path, and it got all twisted and mangled up. And now we don't even know how the end of that will ever be. And this verse where it says he's going to make those crooked paths straight, that's what I feel like God's just getting all those tangles and straightening them out. When it says that he'll bring the mountains low, those mountains that seem like, how am I ever going to move this mountain in my life? In my heart, in my soul, how is it ever going to get out of there? It says that he brings them low. And the valleys that we're in, that feels like, how am I ever going to climb out of this pit? This situation I'm in is so incredibly low. I don't know how I'm ever going to climb out. It says that he's going to make them rise up like mountains. The rough place is smooth. That's my heart. My heart has become so rough, callous, because of experiences. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yep. It's almost like you just see things differently. It's like we, when you go through so many things, when you go through enough pain, you start to just wear sunglasses all the time. Everything looks dark. And for God to make those rough parts smooth again, that's what I need. I need that in my heart. And what is meaningful about these three stories is that these are very low moments. But in the end, Paul was successful. Even though he was hated by his own people without cause, almost everywhere he went, he was one of the most successful apostles of Jesus Christ, one of the most successful missionaries of Jesus Christ, one of the most successful individuals in the world to where his writings are in the most published book of, in the world today. Paul wrote 70% of the New Testament. And he was hated in his time. And yet, his success is literally the greatest, he's the greatest author, one of the greatest authors of the world today, thousands of years later. Joseph was blessed. He was shamed by his family. He was thrown out, but he was blessed. And I want us to look at what blessing is, because in, in Genesis throughout his story, it says that God blessed him, that God blessed him. And the times that it said it, it said it when he was at Potiphar's house, that God blessed him and that he was given authority over all of the other servants. When he was in the prison, it said that God blessed him. And he was given authority of all the other prisoners. Now, take a step back. Those are responsibilities. Those are tasks. Those are duties. But the Bible calls it a blessing. And so many times because of how tired we get in this life, we, we do not see those opportunities as blessings anymore. We start to look at them as burdens. But because Joseph saw that as a blessing, received it like a blessing, then he really felt the blessing when it says that he was blessed and given authority over all of Pharaoh's household, all of Egypt. 
See, even though he was shamed, he was blessed. It's like those moments where you're in that one position and everybody else thinks that you don't deserve to be there. You're blessed. That's what it was like for Joseph. And then finally with Ishmael, even though he was outcasted, he was fulfilled. And the most meaningful thing about Ishmael is that he was fulfilled in, in God alone. God brought that fulfillment. It wasn't by the people that cast him out. It wasn't a full circle story. It says that he was fulfilled in the family that he created, that he brought up. And the most, I think the most meaningful parts of Scripture are those one sentence, those one-liners. And you know that after everything, it said that when Abraham died, his sons Isaac and Ishmael came and buried him. And I always wonder in that one sentence what that was like for Ishmael and Isaac to see each other after all these years having completely different lives, what it was like to just come together that one moment again. And I, I look at these stories and I see the crooked paths made straight. I see the rough parts made smooth. And I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And... I know that this message is, is speaking to all of us here. But it's also speaking to just you. And right now, maybe your prayer just needs to be, God, make these crooked paths straight. Make all of these rough areas smooth. Because I don't know how much longer I can take it whether it's being hated, shamed, outcasted, whatever, I really believe that God's heart is for you and not against you. And so right now, just with every eye closed and head bowed, if, if you feel like this message was for you today and you just need God to move in your life, in your heart, and your soul. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. God, you see every person here. You see all the people wherever they're listening to this. And God, I, I pray for you to finish the work. I just... I just hear when Jesus told Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died, when he said that this story won't end in death. And I, I speak that over every person here. And I pray that you fulfill hope in them. That you shower your comfort and love over them. And that you breathe encouragement in, in them again. Those who have been carrying that cloak of shame, I pray that you rip it off of them right now. Those who have been feeling so outcasted, I pray that you cause them to belong. Those who have been hated, I pray, God, that you sh show people in their lives 
that can love them and celebrate them. I pray for you to fulfill the people here today, to bless your people here today, that whatever they put their hands to be successful. God, finish the work and do it. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. And I trust that you are here and that you're with your people. And for those of you with your eyes still closed and heads bowed, if you're here today and maybe you're at the point where you need to really put your trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time, second, third, fourth, hundredth time, it's a moment for you where you really want to come back to God or come to God for the first time. I'm just going to tell you how to do that. And it's as simple as making a prayer to Him. A prayer is only a conversation. And all you have to do is talk to God. Share your heart. Pour your heart out. And tell Him what you want to do next with Him. That's all it is. And I believe that God will speak to you. And the Bible just says, if you have this conversation with Him, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus rose from the dead, that you make Him your Lord and your Savior, that surely you shall be saved. And I want to emphasize that the reason the Bible says that all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus rose from the dead, meaning He's really the Son of God, the reason it says that is because the resurrection of Christ is the whole foundation of our faith. We are only able to be forgiven of our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross if He was the Son of God. If he didn't raise from the dead, it means that everything he said was a lie and that he was just a person. That his resurrection is what proves that he's the son of God. It is his proof to us. And that's why the Bible tells us if you just believe in your heart, start there and say it with your mouth that Jesus rose from the dead. Affirm that and surely you shall be saved. So if you've never had that conversation, I want to encourage you to have that either now today, during worship, this evening, this week. If you need to think about it, meditate about it, do it. Make it a real decision, not just an emotional experience. God, I thank you for what you're doing. We worship you, and as we go in this time of worship right now, Lord, I pray that you just speak to people what they need to hear. Make us sensitive to your voice. And make your people sensitive to your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.